Don't Punt to Geo, your UNC football podcast on the Tar Heel Blog podcast, hosted by TarHeelBlog.com on the SBNation.com podcast network. My name is Chad Floyd. It is Friday, December 20th, 2019. I am joined by Jake Lawrence because we are two days after the early signing period, which I'm just going to call signing day uh, for all intents and purposes. And we need to talk about it. Uh, Hopefully hitting y'all on maybe a little holiday commute, something like that. Jake, how are you, my man? I'm doing great, Chad. Let's uh, let's go and get after and talk about the, the success that was North Carolina's recruiting class. The success that is and shall be. Uh, Jake, we sat here about a year ago, and we were marveling at Mac Brown salvaging what was a class that had one top 50 North Carolina recruit in it in Welton, Spotsville. Um, ended up signing, I believe, a dozen back in 2019. Uh, 2020, you know, we started pretty strong. Uh, there were a couple of disappointments, a couple of ins and outs. But honestly, man, it was just a nice steady ride. and. Only one little bit of drama to get to on actual signing day, but we've sang Matt Brown's praises on this podcast more often than not. You know, just kind of what was your overall takeaway from the class as a whole? Uh, aside from the in-state flavor, and we've talked about that ad nauseum with, I believe, of the 26 recruits, 25 signed of that 26, 15 are from North Carolina. So he made an effort to, to start rebuilding those relationships, which is going to be key going to 2021. Uh, the other takeaway I had from it is that he's building from the inside out, and there was a heavy emphasis on the offensive line and defensive lines. Um, and he is he's rebuilding those to, to to get certain attitudes and culture he wants because everything flows from the trenches. That does not change regardless of all the bells and whistles on offenses and defenses now. Uh, and it's clear that he has a, a vision to go forward. Uh, so in-state and building in the trenches, I think, were my two biggest takeaways. Yeah, and the top three rated commits uh, per 247 composite were defensive linemen and Desmond Evans, who's going to be more of a hybrid uh, lineman linebacker. Miles Murphy from Greensboro, um, he's going to be the four-eye technique, as we've talked about in Jay Bateman's defense. And then Kedrick Bingley-Jones, who's going to be, you know, maybe a four-eye, maybe a nose tackle, just depending on what they want to do with him at his size. Uh, He's currently weighing in at about 270. So all three of those guys are from North Carolina. It's three of the top four defensive line commits in the state. And we've bemoaned not keeping big guys at home for so long. It's kind of crazy to go ahead and pull in the top three. You know, all three of these guys are top 150 nationally. Yeah, uh, you know, part of that's, you know, just some luck. Uh, North Carolina always has uh, enough talent, but to have that kind of defensive talent all up front, um, uh, at the top of the rankings uh, kind of helped out. And then, you know, you just kind of pick them off one by one, and these guys start talking behind the scenes, and they start helping out. Uh, and, you know, we, we talked about it last year, and you asked, you know, how many of the top ten could Mac realistically get? And at that time, I think he had one or two uh, uh, recruits in the top ten in North Carolina. And I think I said anywhere from four to six. Uh, and, you know, recruits are fluid, but he ends up at, what, like five of the top 11, 12 of the top 30, um, and all of that. And so – some of that sometimes is just luck on, on how, you know, the needs fit what North Carolina needs. But that also goes to he came in and he makes the case. And more than anything, I think it shows that, you know, folks were going out of state or going to NC State or Wake Forest because North Carolina, for whatever reason, just was not the place to be. But North Carolina is always going to be the main school. It's going to be the draw. And if you can keep the kids in state, the majority of them are going to pick North Carolina if North Carolina wants them. 
Uh, and I think that that is something uh, to, to look at here. Is, you know, these guys clearly could have gone anywhere else outside the state. They clearly didn't want to go to NC State because I don't think North Carolina went head-to-head against State for any of them. So it was all out-of-state competition, and North Carolina kept them home. Um, and I think, I think that just kind of goes to um, to solidify Matt Brown's thoughts on, on keeping kids in state and what North Carolina coaches and players want to do as well. Yeah, and then you did mention the offensive line. Uh, ironically, only – Two of the offensive line commits are from in-state, and uh, Jonathan Adorno, who was one of the head-to-head battles against NC State, and uh, Malik McGowan. Um, On the O-line, you've got a little bit more of, you know, maybe guys who are going to contribute two, three years down the road, Uh, all all four of them three stars. That is kind of what you would grow to expect, just um, with the fact that basically, barring attrition, Carolina's offensive line set for the next two years, and O-linemen normally don't come in and start from day one anyway. So I, I was pretty excited about that class. Uh, when we get to class superlatives, I'm going to highlight one of the guys as kind of a sleeper for me. But you were absolutely right that they're building from the trenches, but they did ne- definitely not ignore uh, the skill positions. We are looking at, depending on how you want to frame it, Jake, one, maybe two quarterbacks, two, maybe three tight ends. Uh, three running backs, two of whom we're going to talk about today, and then four wide receivers. Um, just of all the skill talent, you know, who who has you most excited? Most excited? Uh, I'm going to go with Jefferson Boaz just because we don't know where he's going to end up, and he's going to be someone that the staff is going to allow him to uh, show his skills in multiple ways and then put him somewhere. So, I think he's someone that one, two, three years down the line, he's going to plug and play a little bit. And so I'm interested to see how they use him because that can help. Um, that will help set certain needs going forward. Um, I really like Boaz. But then, you know, the, look, we have two really good wide receivers in Ray Rose uh, and Josh Downs. Uh, and, and Downs is someone who could contribute. I think any other year he could, he could come in and contribute right away with so many receivers still in the program uh, from, from, from this season. I don't know what to expect from him immediately. Uh, but I think that long-term he's going to be probably uh, the uh, the crown jewel on the offensive side that's not a quarterback. Yeah, Downs was the guy for me. Um, but there was some stuff that came out on signing day about how a couple of staffs had really wanted him and targeted him as like their number one priority. Uh, he's just really explosive out of the slot. You know, think Ryan Switzer with maybe a little bit more straight line speed. Um, if, if he can run routes and uh, develop his hands like Switzer, I mean, look out for that guy. And really, I mean, he's got more potential playing time in front of him with, uh, you know, the possible NFL departure of Daz Newsom. But even if Newsom does return, I mean, he's a senior. So you're going to have that spot on the slot between him, Toe Groves, who I believe is going to be a junior next year, and then uh, – Downs and then you know whatever emerges from the previous classes but I think Downs is the most talented of any of those guys um we would be remiss not to uh, go ahead and uh, talk about Jacoby Criswell uh the quarterback number 11 dual threat quarterback in the country though you know he's really more of a pocket guy a lot of people compare him to Marquise Williams just really based on his size but has a cannon for an arm really accurate and good passer um I thought it was paramount importance that uh unc kept him on board with the class how about you uh there's no doubt that uh, for immediate peace of mind and long-term development uh, he checks all the blocks uh, aside from being an elite 11 quarterback aside from going into arkansas and grabbing him and then holding off arkansas late uh, once they change coaches 
Uh, he is someone who his skill set is someone Longo has identified a long, a long time ago, two, three years ago, as being his top guy. He thinks he has everything he needs to run Longo's offense. You bring him in, you can redshirt him this year. You still get him four games if that's what you want to do. Uh, and then next year when Sam Howell's junior, uh, next year being two years from now, I guess, when Sam Howell's a junior, uh, in theory, he's the backup. And then in theory, the job is his, or there's at least a pathway to the job. Uh, depending on how Chase Reuter does as well. So what it does now, it gives North Carolina three quarterbacks. It gives it a long-term answer uh, and gives some competition behind how uh, they give you some different skill sets. Uh, and so uh, I don't think that can be understated. He's going to get time to learn, and he's going to get two years of recruiting classes to come in with additional talent, whereas Howe just had to kind of come in and do with what was already there. Uh, they can kind of start putting the pieces in together, and he could step into a better position than what Howell has uh, by the time he takes over the reins, uh, hypothetically, of course. Yeah, and what you do is create some separation. Uh, if Chris Wells playing more than four games next year, it is a much bigger problem than uh, Chris Well just emerging as the guy. Uh, I, I really doubt that that's going to be the case. But, um, you know, with assuming you keep uh, Howell and Reuter on campus for three or four years, they're both going to be sophomores next year. Um, I think it's kind of questionable as to whether you can keep a quarterback as talented as Reuter on the bench. And I do like Boaz just as a guy who they can at least try out at quarterback. And if Reuter was to go, you know, you have a guy who knows the playbook as kind of an emergency third stringer, you know, two snaps away from a from being forced into duty. So I really like the way the quarterback situation looks as opposed to sitting on pins and needles, which we did, I believe, all season. Yeah, and it's going to open up the playbook, too. Um, you know, they Matt Brown said uh, said last week or the week before that they had specific plays and specific packages last year for Reuter. Um, you know, he gets hurt. He doesn't play the rest of the year. Now you've got two quarterbacks there. It gives you a little bit of different flavor to make up for uh, some abilities that Hal may not be better at then, such as running. I mean, you know, Hal can run, but he's not necessarily the most mobile of people. Um, and it gives and, and also allows some different play calling because now you don't have to protect Hal as much. Uh, because you, you are comfortable with someone being behind him who can come in and contribute. So it's a lot of factors that, that having Jacoby there now opens up across the board uh, as opposed to just going in with Reuter and potentially uh, Boaz who lit up, you know, single-A football. But, uh, you know, single-A football can sometimes uh, mask deficiencies at a Power 5 level, as we saw with Jazz Surratt. So uh, I think it overall just it answers uh, a lot of questions, or at least will provide answers for a lot of questions uh, through the spring and summer. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to touch on just uh, with the guys from the offensive side of the ball? You know, we really didn't get too much into John Copenhaver and Kendall Carr at tight end. Uh, both of them basically missed their senior seasons with uh, different injuries. But, you know, they, they were both and I mentioned this in the signing day live thread that they, they were both guys who held offers from the Alabama, you know, one of them, Alabama and LSU. The other, I believe, like Florida, Tennessee, Penn State. So, you know, th those are guys that are very high upside type tight ends. Uh, we'll see what they do coming off of injury. Uh, but they are among the 13 early enrollees. Uh, anything on them or the running backs, or should we switch over to the defense? No, I mean, switch over to the defense, because the big thing here is that don't anticipate a ton or, if any, instant immediate impact players next year on offense. Um, and so the running backs are all a similar size with some different skill sets. Uh, the tight ends are coming off injury, so I think on the offensive side, more than anything, you're looking at they're going to you're looking at some instances where they're going to create some competition across the board. Uh, one or two guys may be able to fill in in a pinch or actually earn a spot at some point or another. 
Uh, but by and large, you're looking at these guys make impacts two, three years down the road, uh, and they're there for depth and competition behind the scenes. I think that's a really good point. Would you set the over-under at – or would you take the over uh, – oh, my God. <laughs> Deep breath, Chad. I'm saying the over-under for guys on the offense who are going to redshirt at three and a half. Are you taking the over or the under on that? I will take the over on that. Or I should have said are going to burn their red shirts. Gracious, burn man. their I, red shirt. Dude, I, I will. I, I'll, it's okay. I hey, look, three, three, three and a half over under uh, of burning the red shirt. I think less. I think under are going to burn the red shirt next year because um, I think they finally have the depth they need across special teams and, and on and on offense. But uh, you know that's that's assuming everyone stays healthy when that never happens. So I'll, I'll put that caveat in there. That is a very important caveat. Um, I'm I, I'm going to take the over just slightly. I think a few of these guys will contribute on special teams just because you have so many guys coming in early. But yeah, you know, maybe that, yeah, maybe that's cheating a little bit. Uh, defense. We touched on the defensive line as far as it relates to the in-state guys, or you know, really the elite guys that the Heels have. I don't think it quite tells the whole story with the defensive line class because. The only thing we sweated out on Wednesday, Jake, was our boy Clyde Pender uh, from Sefner, Florida. Clyde Pender is absolutely the prototypical nose tackle for Jay Bateman's system, where if you're going to have two or three down linemen, you need a guy who can occupy a couple blocks. Uh, He made us sweat it out a little bit. Yeah, I mean, look, someone once said that uh, more than one person has said before that when you're relying on 17- and 18-year-old kids for your career, uh, then you're screwed. Um, and look, he, he got a late offer from, from his home state school of Florida. He's from Florida. He took, a, he took an OV over the weekend. He came out of OV not committed. Uh, I'm sure there were probably some other factors playing into, into that. Uh, Florida came in late for him. But they had some higher-rated higher, uh, higher rated prospects. Uh, and, and the path to play in time may not have been as, as consistent. And he probably didn't have the relationship. Uh, that he has built in North Carolina since committing over the summer. Uh, but, you know, Matt can't say we want to keep our people home, and if you don't come to North Carolina, at least stay inside the state, and then us fans get mad if a kid wants to do that. So he was working out some things. Uh, in the end, he decided that North Carolina was the place for him, uh, and, uh, and and hopefully that sticks. Uh, but uh, if, if anything, you're talking about a 300-pound, I think 6'1", nose tackle. So a little bit on the short side, but 300 pounds already. You get him in the weight room. Uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be a monster eating up eating up space and eating up double teams uh, in in for years to come. And there's a path to immediate playing time. So he is someone who, uh, while he may not be spectacular, that remains to be seen. Uh, he will see snaps, uh, which is which is gonna be crucial for a defensive line that is already depleted uh, after losing Crawford and Strobridge after this year. Yeah, I I think um, you know th- this is gonna spoil a little bit of when we go into superlatives, I think he was the most important player in this class, just based on position and based on what Carolina had coming back for next year. You know, you, you don't want freshmen in the trenches, as I meant, mentioned on the offensive line side, but really in that position, you basically have Jaleel Taylor and that's it. So I thought he was absolutely pivotal for this class. Uh, getting him allows them to get a little bit more creative with uh, what Kedrick Bingley-Jones and Miles Murphy's future positions may be. Um, I, I thought it was a great job by the staff to go ahead and close on him. And, yeah, uh, re- really threw off my vibe on signing day while I was doing the live blog. But uh, welcome home, buddy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, well, yeah, look, I mean, and the staff basically went head-to-head with Florida, right? I mean, this is big boy recruiting to an extent. And 
North Carolina is not to the point where they can go head to head with Clemson and Alabama, but they're going to be able to win some of these some of these uh, competitions for medium to low four star recruits against some of the higher ranked schools, and they're going to be able to and they're going to be able to you know they're not recruiting against NC State and Virginia Tech right now. They're recruiting against the South Carolina, a little bit of the Florida. Um, those kinds of schools, and I think that's the takeaway from winning from winning Pender into a degree. Chriswell uh, is that North Carolina now is is not a team that you look at him like oh well they're definitely going to lose this guy now that he got the home state uh, offer. Uh, they're going to be able to go go toe to toe, and I think that is that is comforting and should be uh, should provide some more optimism going into 2021 for the fan base. Yeah, we're not losing recruits to ECU this year. Right. I mean. I mean I mean, we we say that kind of like half jokingly, but it's also no. It actually happened accurate. last year. You know, like like it happened, you know. So yeah. you know we're flipping NC State, folks. I think Virginia and Virginia Tech only had, I think they only had like two recruits from the entire state of Virginia combined. So yeah. North Carolina's kind of now separated themselves in, in just twelve months on the recruiting trail from a lot of ACC peers, and now they're going to be able to start taking away some of those. What, what an SEC school may, may consider a depth piece or a future piece, North Carolina can now go in and take them and say, we have a, we have a path for you now. And it's about a year-by-year year rebuild or a year-by-year year stair step. And that's kind of what I think this year shows more than, uh, more than what we've seen in the past. Yeah, and then the next year when uh, there's a little more proof of concept, UNC can go toe-to-toe with, with, uh, for some of those elite guys. So it is all a process and it's all – very exciting. You know, again, I think if uh, you're going to have one takeaway from this podcast, listener, it is that this is an exciting class. Uh, let's talk about the linebackers. Um, I don't want to talk about the one that got away, Jake, but Cayman Rucker, I think, is a big-time sleeper. Cedric Gray as well. You know, these are two athletic guys who already possess linebacker size. Um, I guess we would go ahead and uh, consider A.J. Beatty and uh, Desmond Evans linebackers as well. And then you have uh, Ethan West, who – you almost forget about because he's been committed for so daggum long, you know, of those guys. And I, I was talking about guys who have burned red shirts on special teams, but of those guys, who do you think has the best shot of playing right away? Uh, right away. Uh, I'm not going to say Desmond Evans. Cause I think it's a gimme. Uh, I think came Rucker has the best chance just because he's so explosive. And, and I think you said at the beginning, he fits uh, the outside rush linebacker to a T. Uh, and so I think there's going to be some competition there. Uh, or some uh, a path to playing time there on the outside. Uh, but I'm also really interested in Cedric Gray. I don't think he's going to be an immediate contributor, but or at least a standout contributor. But because he is so versatile, uh, he might be able to see the playing time earlier uh, than what is expected just because he can play all over the field. Um, and so those two guys uh, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing, uh, aside from the cop-out answer of, of Des Evans. Yeah, I, I teed that one up for you in case you wanted to take it because, you know, the, the other four guys, really, they are all in the bottom half of the class as far as recruiting rankings go. I agree with you with uh, Rucker. I, I put his video in the signing day breakdown because his film is just absurd. Uh, he he was injured this year, but really, I mean, he's so quick off the edge. It's kind of like watching Dwight Freeney when he was at Syracuse. I mean, he he's terrifying, really. Um. I really like Ethan West kind of as a guy who could step in after uh, Surratt and Gimmel move on as kind of a leader, clean everything up. Um, Don't mean to drop any racial stereotypes here, but he's, you know, having watched him on film, I mean, LSU and Michigan wanted him as a middle linebacker. 
he's an extremely heady player and he's a guy that I think is going to be probably a longer term, you know, maybe not the highest upside, but very solid contributor. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think you, you hit it when you said when Surratt moves on and when Gimmel moves on. Um, and as this, as the scheme develops, the, the important thing to remember is that this staff is now recruiting for its scheme. You know, last year was just trying to salvage people, trying to salvage a class and try to find talent where it could. And they're going to, they're going to sort it out over the next two or three years. This year, they were actually able to identify people they want specifically for their scheme. And I think that will help some of these folks actually hit the field a little bit earlier or have an impact a little bit earlier because they're not, they weren't recruited for one and then had to learn another and then put in a different position. I mean, they are coming in for specific reasons. Uh, and I think that someone like Wes, because of that, uh, maybe not immediately this year, uh, you know, I'm sure he'll get his four games, maybe more based on special teams and based on injuries. Uh, but I, I think by, by year number two, He's a guy who, who's seeing some, some significant playing time in that middle and helping control that linebacker core uh, and, and providing some coverage over the middle. Uh, so I uh, largely agree with that. Uh, and and I, I, West is one of the ones I'm, mo- I'm more excited about, um, but more from a long-term standpoint, just because I think middle linebacker is so important. Uh, and North Carolina has struggled there for, for the past couple of years, regardless of what the NFL draft says. Um, with you know someone like Andre Smith and, and Cole Holcomb now starting for the Redskins, for some reason that has just seemed to be a position that has um, been a problem spot for Carolina, and and I hope that that West can come in and, and kind of clean that up for a long term answer. Yeah, well at this point it's nice to just have a depth chart of linebackers that are deemed worthy of a scholarship because you you mentioned Cole Holcomb, he was a walk on. Uh, prior to that, Jeff Shotmer was a walk on. Almost um, like <laughs> the previous point, staff. Yeah. Uh, Kind kind of ignored that position, but just to have warm bodies there in case of injury, in case of attrition, um, it's really nice. It, it it's just really nice, Jake. Um, let's <laughs> let's uh, finish up with the secondary. They only brought in one corner in uh, Jaden Chalmers, uh, teammate and cousin of Des Evans. Um, a lot of that is due to the fact that on the transfer portal they brought in Kyler McMichael from Clemson and Bryce Watts from Virginia Tech. So keep those guys in mind next year when you're kind of evaluating this class as a whole. Um, Chalmers is the lowest rated guy in the class. I think he's probably better than his ranking would indicate, but you know, more kind of in that Greg Ross or you know, kind of the smaller corners that we've seen struggle physically, but still be able to be very good at covering and pretty much covering specifically. Um, any real quick thoughts on Chalmers? No, long-term project. Uh, key piece, I think. Uh, but with, you know, it's not just the transfers. I mean, you got Renee coming back next year, too. You got Storm Duck. You got Don Chapman in the backfield. I think you have uh, Wolfoot coming back, right? Yeah, Cameron Kelly's coming Wolfoot. back from injury. Cameron Kelly's coming back from injury. So, I mean, the, 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 the secondary is stacked. Uh, Chalmers is a nice piece for, for depth and, and for development. Uh, and then you get them in there, you let them work with Bly. Uh, I don't think the staff offers a player without having having a plan for them. Uh, and he's not just a throwaway the way that no. we may have seen in previous years where uh, some fringe prospects and you hope they work out because that's all they could get. Uh, there's there's a plan for this guy. So just don't expect anything immediately. Yeah, that, that brings me more to the – you know what what I kind of wanted to get to last because it's probably one of my uh favorite positions uh to talk about here the safeties uh UNC has not recruited a four a, a consensus four-star safety and 
I don't believe I'm getting this wrong since Denora Cersei back in 2006. Uh, um, the Heels have two of them. That's, that sounds about right, I think. The bottom line is the safety position has been a has been a source of inconsistency. Uh, and now to bring yes. in these two guys uh, is uh, – it's big. It's really big. And it's even more important when you remember that Bateman's scheme relies on its safeties to essentially quarterback the defense. Uh, and so these are two athletes that he went after uh, that he thinks has the athleticism, the skill sets, and the mental capacity to run the defense. Uh, and all of that to, to, to bring into this class, uh, knowing that they're going to need, they're going to need that after, you know, after Wolfick moves on and in the next year, to one to three years. Um, I think those are, those are two probably bigger, bigger pickups than what people really understand right now. Yeah. Um, I know with uh, Cameron Roseman Sinclair, he's slept on a little bit because I believe besides Elijah Burris, he was the first uh, commit to the new staff for this class. But he was a guy, you know, never really jumps off the page on you on tape, but four-year starter at Myers Park High School and a guy who is just always where he is supposed to be. You know, really kind of more of a solid but not spectacular type player. But those are the type of guys that, you know, can sneak into – you know, maybe sneak into a robber and uh, pick off an unsuspecting quarterback in a clutch situation. Uh, Roseman Sinclair, you know, I'm I, that that sounded probably a little bit lower on him than I intend to be, but dude's the number eleven player in the class and very deserving of that. The other guy, Jaquarius Conley, um, he's awesome. You know, six two two oh three. You you love to see that size as a safety. Um, I'm going to spoil another class superlative here. He's the guy I'm most excited about. Like hands freaking down um he is explosive i think he ran nine carries for 350 yards in uh and five touchdowns in a game earlier this season and grand you know it's not crazy competition but really when you watch him on defense against high school competition he looks like sean taylor um he's not gonna be sean taylor nobody will ever be sean taylor but my god i mean it it is it's kind of jarring how similar they look just uh watching their film except taylor was doing it at Miami and in the NFL. So we'll see how he develops, but I was really excited to get him signed and sealed. Yeah. And I, if I remember correctly, that, that recruitment was kind of up and down and kind of weird. Um, but, you know, he eventually, he eventually recruited to the good guys. Uh, and I think he probably has the most immediate upside um, uh, out of the secondary uh, from, from, from those recruits. Uh, but I, but I largely agree about, about Roseman Sinclair too. And I think he actually won uh, a couple of awards from an Adidas camp over the last summer as well as a defensive player of the of the region or something or another so um you're right he's not going to flash at you but at what myers park has how many state championships do they have two or three um i, I want to say two over the past four years yeah it's something like that so he so he's been a starter so rosamund sinclair has been the the uh, a starter on a, on a multiple state title winning team uh he's he, he's solid he's going to be able to step in I look at him probably like a little bit better uh, or a little bit like Don Chapman, maybe not better because I don't, I don't know what, what Don Chapman really was coming in. But Chapman stepped in. Uh, I think he had two or three interceptions in the course of the year out there because he just he knew where to be and what to do. Uh, and I think that's what you're getting with, with Rosemont Sinclair, maybe a little bit better athlete uh, than you. And then everything about Conley uh, is, is extremely exciting. He's going uh, to bring some depth and competition. Uh, and a guy like that, you might be able to slide into some other positions as well. And so that's what – that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, both of these guys will come up and lay the lumber. So, you know, if if you're talking about scheme fit, 
Uh, we didn't see as much safety blitzing as I think we would have liked to this year, just because uh, Bateman was low on depth and, you know, they're still learning a new system. And once you uh, lose about six guys out of your secondary, it's really hard to then put the rest of them on an island. So I think what you see with guys like this, I mean, two rangy and strong guys, you're going to see a lot more uh, pressure from the safeties, um, run help a lot more. And I mean, if if you told me these two were the starting safeties for the next three years, which they won't be, um, I would feel better about that than anything I've felt about our safeties in the past 10 years. Um, yeah, I think that, that's a very, very succinct uh, explanation there. And the other thing too is with with the defense with the defensive line while they're going to have bodies they're not going to have experience next year. Uh, you're going to have to use that secondary probably a little bit more to for 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 run stopping or for or for pass pressure. Uh, and I think that uh, with the amount of of defensive backs that are coming back, that secondary will now have the ability to run multiple uh, multiple looks uh, and and place some confusion or or, or cause some confusion. Uh, along the middle of the field and, and maybe uh, and more safety pressure, like you said. So uh, a lot to look at there when you look at the sheer numbers and the talent in the secondary coming back. Could not agree more. Uh, Jake, it's time for some superlatives, man. Um, first question, who's your favorite player in this class? Just personal favorite, doesn't have to deal with talent, just guy who's going to be your dude. Uh, who? I was not expecting that one up first. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna say, oh man, I'll cop out and go with Des Evans because I think that he's gonna be the one to, to be the face of the UNC defense over the next three years. Uh, there is certainly no uh, no shame in making that pick. I'm I'm sticking with Conley on that one. Um, he's yeah, my dude. Fair. Yeah, I I played some safety back in the day, so Ja, you're my boy. Um, just. This is an easier one, but straight up, like, highest upside player in the class. Highest upside player? Yep. Whew. That's not any easier. Highest upside. <laughs> uh, hey, they, they can already be close to their upside. No, I'm going to go with Pinder. Um, I think when you – I think from where he's going to start and to where he's going to finish, I think Pinder has the ability to be the anchor of the defense for, for three to four years. Um, and I think that you're going to hear his name uh, called a lot, or he's going to require a lot from defenses before his career is over. So I, I, I'm very interested to see how Pinder does. I like that call. Um, as I said, you know, I thought he was extremely important to this class. I'm going to basically copy off your paper and uh, not get the math quite right. I'm going to say Kedrick Bingley-Jones uh, for many of the Ooh, same reasons you have with Pinder. But uh, Bingley-Jones probably has the frame to carry – 310, 315 pounds. That is the type of guy that NFL scouts look at and drop top five picks on. Um, he was probably yeah, the most and he has the height. To, he, has, he has the height to go with it too. That's a really good pick. Yeah, and and he was probably the most uh, statistically productive of the defensive linemen, just based on competition this year. I, I'm excited about Bingley Jones. I think Evans is an, another obvious pick. I think Connolly is an obvious pick. Uh, who's your sleeper for this class? My sleeper is going to be Cedric Gray, uh, just because okay. he can fit all over the place. Um, and I think that before it's all said and done, he's going to be he's going to be one of those role players, one of those X factors on the defense that you're going to miss him. You're not going to realize how much you need him until he's not there. 
uh, and I and I like his versatility. So uh, it's, I think it's going to take a little bit for him to actually get going. But I think long term, I think he's my sleeper for for being one of the one of the unheralded guys out of this class that makes a big difference. Yeah, I think he's an interesting pick. Uh, he's at the Shrine Bowl, and I believe last I saw, he was playing receiver, and you know, it was kind of a jack of all trades at Archer Kell High School. Um, that's that's a really strong pick, and. You know, you, you could squint and say he's not quite as uh, explosive as the one that got away to Clemson, but that he might end up being every bit the linebacker. Um, my pick for sleeper is going to be Caden Baker, offensive tackle from uh Oh, Myers, really Florida. good. Yeah, um, I like that a lot. I like multi-sport guys uh, in the trenches. You know, I like a guy who has a wrestling background on the defensive line, and by the same Token, I like a basketball guy playing offensive tackle because his footwork's going to be have, have less of a learning curve, and the rest of the technical aspects kind of come a lot easier when your feet are doing what they're supposed to do. Um, he's 6'6", 260. You know, that just screams pretty much exactly what we saw with Charlie Heck when he was coming in. I don't know if Charlie Heck had a basketball background, but, you know, kind of a lower-end recruit that just – seems really just tailor-made to play left tackle. I'm, I'm really excited about Caden Baker. Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one more name out there, uh, and we haven't talked about him, uh, is, is, is Tylee Kraft uh, out of South Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's tall. He's long. Uh, he's got hands of Velcro, uh, more or less. And he's the type that, in this scheme, he's going to be able to get deep, get behind defenses. Uh, and he's, your, he's what you look at for your jump balls and for, and for taking the top off the defenses long term. Um, I, I really, really think that he's underrated. ESPN has him as a four-star based on his measurements. Uh, the other two recruiting services are not as high on him. But he's also played in a, in a system that did not throw the ball a ton. It was a very run-dominant system yeah. out in Sumter, South Carolina. So I think for me, um, he's another one to, to look at. And I'm, I'll, I'll still take Cedric Gray over him just because of the versatility. But I think that Kraft is going to be a guy that, that kind of surprises people after, after a year or two. Uh, and kind of turns into that Matt Collins or uh, Bo Corrales role of either taking the top of all the defense or being being a guy for the jump ball and then in the end zone off the fade. Yeah, and, and not to cast aspersions on guys that are already on campus, but I think I like all four of these receivers better than any of them that they signed uh, last year. If if I'm just looking at it objectively, uh, Ray Rose, similar to Kraft, ran a very run-heavy offense. But, you know, he's kind of got I, – I, I call it like a – with, with, with the offense Carolina's running, I call it a Justin Blackman body type where, you know, at 6'1", 205, you know, he's going to put on a little bit of weight and be able to muscle smaller corners and get position. But he's just got instincts just out the wazoo. Um, Steven Gosnell, you know, lower ranked. Uh, he played with Boaz. And, I mean, they, they just dominated 1A together. Um, I bet that was a lot of fun for them because – but. Yeah, I mean, they were they were insane. I mean, they they broke records together, it's, and that's one of those. It's hard to tell who helped who. Do they help each other? Is one better than the other? Um, and that'll sort itself out. But you don't put those types of numbers up unless you have unless you have high uh, high college uh, talent, and, and Gosnell does. Uh, but you know, with all these guys, it's just a matter of when do they get to see the field, and so you yeah. have to temper expectations for for immediate impact stuff. Well, yeah, we we didn't see any of the true freshman receivers play this year, and the depth chart's not exactly turned over for next year, so. It, right. I, I think you said it best earlier with the offense. You know, it would not shock me to have all of these guys more or less 
red shirt or come close to it. And if somebody cracks the rotation, it's because they are really, really, really freaking good. Yeah, I think that's about I think that's about right when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Well, Jake, I told you we'd uh be able to get in and out in uh twenty five or thirty minutes and uh here we are at about thirty eight. Um what do you have coming to TarHillBlog.com? Um I know we need to catch up with uh all the negative going on with basketball, so we might have to circle back and do that sometime over Christmas. But uh I just you know, I asked you a question that I rambled. I do that a lot. Um what you got coming on? Yeah, no big deal. Uh, I've, I'm trying to work on, on a film review or two for basketball. It's been tough this year because there's been so much that has uh, been not watchable. Uh, and so it's, you know, I've been waiting for enough of a sample size to pick on one thing. So uh, we're going to see how they do against UCLA. And then uh, next week, uh, probably some looking forward for what's next for football uh, and, uh, uh, and probably looking at uh, some basketball pre-ACC uh, previews, kind of where do we go from here. But uh, we'll see what plays out this weekend. Kind of, oh, of recalibration we have, we have, yeah, we got to recalibrate a little bit, and we have the military bowl coming up, so I'm sure we're going to start looking. Uh, we're going to start looking at some uh, some previews for for that. You know it, man. Um, I need the Christmas holiday to just catch a breather and be able to get back on track with uh with posting and podcasting here. Um, for me, you know, th- this is going to be it. Um, I had the 3,500 word signing day live blog on Wednesday. Go back and check that out if you want. Um. My ramblings make a little bit more sense when they're written down because I have a little bit more time to edit myself. But the most important plug I can make is for you, the listener, to go ahead, wherever you're listening to this, click subscribe on this podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. We will read them on the air. No new reviews this week. Um, But please go ahead and do that. It really helps us out. Uh, It drives us to give y'all more content in kind of a sick way. So Go ahead and do that. Until next time, keep it locked and go Heels.